Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Today, the legendary loser, R.A. the Rugged Man, on Vince and Jason Save the Nation. Vince and Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Gold Co. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Vince and Jason Save the Nation. Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year. We got a big show for you today to close out 2021. Jason Nichols, what's on the deck? Well, today we have one of my favorite rappers. I remember him from way back um, doing his thing. And uh, one of the few rappers to get a Biggie co-sign, uh, R.A. the Rugged Man. R.A., what is that for? How you doing? How you doing, fellas? What's going on? Chilling. You know, R.A., I got to say this. Like, and, and we'll get into the politics and all of that later. There's one thing that I've always had an issue with you with and that's some of your boxing analysis. I remember watching a video where you you um you approached Floyd Mayweather. No, he approached me. I was on Shade Four Five, and we were talking boxing. And they said, "What do you think about Floyd Mayweather?" And I said, "Well, he's a, he's a great fighter, but he needs to step up the competition." And uh, he called up the show angry, so he approached me. <laughs> oh. I, I was there. He called up like, "Yo, fellas." And I said, well, hey, when are you going to fight somebody in the top three in your weight class, though, Floyd? So that's where, and then he, you know, egos fled and he stayed on the phone for 20 minutes. And, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, I thought, because I remember hearing it and he was like, I'm in the back of the Maybach and like talking about <laughs> trying to flex a little bit. The only thing that I disagreed with was when you were like, you need to fight Shane Mosley. And I was like, I agreed with oh, Floyd there. I was like, Shane Mosley, that got five losses? No, that was one. That was one of the people we talk, said. Paul Williams. We said Margarito. We said Mosley. We said them all. And, yeah. and it was good. Mosley was a guy, one of the top guys in the weight class at the time, even though he was older. Yeah, and lost to Winky Wright and stuff like that. But he was one of the top guys, and, and he was a legitimate guy in that weight class. And Floyd went up, fought him, and uh, you know, uh, put on a clinic. So it was a beautiful thing. I didn't say that Shane would beat him. If you listen to the interview. I said, yo, you got to step it up and fight these guys. Because if you don't fight them, you're destroying your legacy. And Floyd, that's the thing with Floyd. He's a businessman. You know, he's, he's smarter than me business-wise. I come from the old school where boxers fought. Whoever was number one, they all fought the, the toughest right. challenges. Right. Floyd comes from a different school of like, hey, the minimal risk for the highest pay, which is smart. You know, so, right. so I'm like, oh, back in the day, everybody just fought everybody, you know. So, so he was coming from a different spin on it, you know. Do you, so, do you think... Do you think Canelo Alvarez is doing that right now? Yeah. And, and you know, I'm not, a, you know, I don't want to go bad mouthing the guy, but I just think that, you know, boxing's getting more and more corrupt. And I think, you know, his camp, four of the guys tested positive for PEDs and, you know, uh, he tested positive for illegal substances and he's all of a sudden going up to 175 and now he wants to fight cruiserweight. I think there's a little shadiness going on there. Uh, you know, he got caught in the past, but I, I think because he's the money guy, they let him get away with a little bit. But you know, the haters are gonna hate my guts for saying that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like seeing this guy go up to 
cruiser, you know, next he's saying maybe possibly cruiserweight and he's the harder puncher, this little skinny guy, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when he was fighting what, like 147? <laughs> now he's a cruiserweight. And, and his fans are so delusional because they're all like, oh, he was, wasn't in his prime. He was just starting boxing when he fought Floyd. No, he had 42 fights. Yeah, 40, I think it was 45. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was 40, I think it was 42, but it could have been 45, but Floyd had like 48 fights. Uh, Floyd's competition was higher, but they, they you know, um, if you look at these guys fighting now, uh, who's the big Russian guy, Bert, Bert or whatever, he got yeah. like 19 fights. Uh, right. uh, Loma has has what 12 fights. Uh, um, these guys, so this guy had 42 fights, had championship yeah. fights, he was a champion, and they were all acting like he, what you know. He was green before. No, he wasn't. He had 42 fights against champions, too. A lot of champions. So, yeah. so they just rewrite history to make their, you know, to to try to pretend like Canelo could have beat Floyd on his best day and he couldn't have. We all right. know that. I mean, you, know? you look at Tiafimo Lopez, I think, has 17 fights, if I'm, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Cambosis. Uh, Shout out to Cambosis. That yeah. was a great upset and a great fight. Great fight. Yeah, but did you hear that? Um, and I promise we're going to get to the politics, Vince. <laughs> you know? It's all good. I'm listening to this and I'm like, I'm obviously this is out of my wheelhouse. I love watching boxing, but I'm in no way familiar with it like you guys are. And I, and I am thinking like, like it is interesting, like for you guys who, who are definitely seem like much more boxing purists. Does it drive you crazy to see like the Logan Jake Paul kind of fights, like get all this attention and people buy pay-per-view to watch like guys who are like, you know, it's just like celebrity boxing matches. It's not the actual art form. No, I, I, here's the thing is, I, I, can't, I don't get mad at them because if somebody's going to pay millions of dollars to watch your fight, you're going to fight. Yeah, so yeah. Not, I hate Jake Paul. I hate them. I hate the Logans. But how could you hate them? I mean, they're, they're making money because the public is stupid enough because they <laughs> like sensationalism and celebrity stuff. It's right. the same thing in the music industry. People go off the, 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 the um, you know, celebrity personas and and the fame and and who got the money and this and that rather than who's making the, the best music, who's got the magazine cover or this and that, who's who's you know hot for the week. Right. So I mean that's the game. That's what the game is. You know, it's it's celebrity culture. Look at look at the, Trump was the president. He was it's celebrity culture we live in. You know, Kardashians right. one of the most famous people in the world. We live in celebrity culture. So Jake Paul is a part of that. You know, and he's capitalizing on that. You know, right. I honestly don't have a problem with it. Um, and, and you know what, honestly, and as you and I talked, uh, Vince, you know that I've done a little bit of boxing. I've done a little bit of kickboxing. I've done a little bit of grappling, not good at any of it. But one of the things that I will say is like, I've, I've always argued with a lot of dudes who do MMA that boxing is a different sport. Like it's just a different sport. And a lot of these MMA guys are like, no, I can bang, I can go in there and fight. And it's like you get in there with a with a real boxer or even a dude who's not really a real boxer, you're going to realize that it's just a different game when people train just for boxing. And so I'm a fan of MMA. There's no question. I'm a fan of all combat sports. But the idea, I think Jake Paul is destroying this idea that just because you throw hard punches that you're a boxer. And so he's been beating up all these MMA guys. And it's it's showing that MMA is a different game. Like you start throwing kicks in there, Floyd Mayweather's going to get knocked out in 30 seconds, you know, because it's a different sport, you know. Yeah. And I think so. I, I I appreciate that end of it. Um, I and you know I like the promotion. I think Jake Paul is playing. He's doing exactly the same thing 
that Conor McGregor does and all those things, being the bad guy. And, you know, I like a good bad guy, you know, like, like Redman yeah. said, yeah. you know, the red moolie. Well, that's what gets you to pay movie, for it. I mean, know? honestly, that's what obviously gets you to pay for it, man. You see these like sensational battles on television. You see the, the way that they show up at the weigh-in. They're getting in each other's faces. You're like, all right, maybe I'll pay to see this fight. I want to see how this gets resolved. But the yeah. start of Jake Paul was, was Conor McGregor, you know, this big celebrity match of this guy who never boxed before. And that was the start of Jake Paul. You know, That's Jake a good point. McGregor's That's a the, really the good point. And what you're saying about like, you know, people have the tendency of looking at things that they don't do and thinking it's easier. Getting on the microphone, uh, being an actor in a movie, writing a book, you know, yes. uh, getting in the ring with a boxer. Like, you know how many street dudes think like if I get in the ring, I'm a street dude. I could knock out that. But no, you can't. You know, they, you know, so that's the thing. And, and yep. a boxer thinks he's going to get an MMA ring and just tap the guy. And, you know, you, you always have a puncher's chance. But no, it is a different sport. And the MMA guy, oh, I'm going to go in the boxing ring and do. No, you're not. You know, unless you're fighting a washed up guy that can't take a punch anymore, you know, like. But, yeah. but I mean, know. James Tony tried to get in there, you know, and, and fight MMA once. Now, again, he was like 50 yeah. years old. And that was Dana White's strategy. He wanted to, you know, take a crap on boxing and show how superior MMA is because, you know, it, it, but he took a Hall of Fame fighter. His who, who, who did James Tony fight again? The Hall of Fame guy. Uh, who was it? It was one of the, you know, Hall of Fame fighters. Famous, famous MMA fighter. James Tony went in there for the, his first fight. Never, never grappled. Never did that. <laughs> and if you watch. James Tony's last couple boxing matches, he, he would stumble, fall, fall down. Like he, he was out of shape. He smoked cigars. It was, it was a way past his prime Tony. So you put, look, this great boxer versus our, our MMA guy and look, MMA superior. It's, it's, it's just, and then MMA fans go for that, but it's childish. Right. It's, two, it's two different sports, bottom line, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. No, definitely. Put Michael Phelps on the track field and see how fast he runs, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. But I, I like the, you know, the promotion. It's it's kind of like it's like the circus coming to town. And, I you know, I really don't have a problem with it. Um, you know, and I do think it's it was interesting. I watched the was it Darren Williams fought uh, Frank Gore, like a, a basketball player against a football player. Like I do find those things kind of interesting. It goes back to the old principle of MMA before there was like actual mixed martial arts. Like it was like karate versus kung fu, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, like, like four hundred fifty pound guy versus the hundred eighty pound guy. That, that was really <laughs> right. crazy, man. They they literally have like a four hundred fifty pound guy fighting like a different style guy that's one hundred eighty pounds. They had no rules at first. Yeah, yeah. it was it was sumo wrestling, and then you know, of course, it was Hoist Gracie who came in and changed the game with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which nobody really knew anything about and was choking out, was 170 pounds, choking out everybody mm -hmm. and breaking people's arms. And then, you know, now that's just part of the sport. The Gracie's, they, 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 the kids come out of their mothers and they got them training at like a year old. You know, the <laughs> Gracie family got, got skills. They're, you know, they, they're born into that. They're fighting at one, two, three years old. They're training them, you know? Yeah, right. you know, I, I got to say, there's something kind of comforting about combat sports that like that exists, that it still exists in our culture and people like it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know if you get this sense, but like, I feel like the idea that just men can go to war against each other inside of a ring or an octagon uh is is a cool thing and it's like it 
it basically says, yeah, okay, like that alpha component, the masculine component of society is still exists and is still valued, still cherished. And people like seeing it. They actually like, I don't, do you guys feel that way too? Yeah, the thing is, I was pro, I, I lived my whole life with boxing. I was boxing when I was eight years old. I was in the gym at eight years old boxing. Yeah. My father raised me on boxing. I was a boxing guy. And when MMA first started, I was like, F that, boxing, boxing. You know, I was the old school guy. But um, you know what's crazy? As I get older, I get more sensitive and, and, and held back. You know, I got kids and all of this stuff and you get older. And now I know a lot of champions, like world champions I'm friends with. And uh, even the ones that weren't champions, it's like anybody that, that was a professional fighter, mm-hmm. when you actually talk to them and they're 40, 50 years old, every single one of them almost has some sl- slowness to them, some yeah. slur to them. Like Fast. it's really, yeah. you know, they're getting punched in their head and getting their brains destroyed for us. You know, and I, I, I'm not saying I, I don't mess with it and I don't like it because th- this is what their lives were and, and they wouldn't trade it for the world and, and they loved it and they loved every second of it and they lived their life on the memories. So, but sometimes like when I talk to the older guys now and I'm like, damn, like he did, his brain is all scrambled for us because we enjoyed these guys punching each other in the head. So right. you know, I'm yeah. pro box and I would never want, you know, them to take that away from them. But, uh, you know, and it got a lot of people out the streets. It got a lot of people, you know, in, in a positive environment, in a gym where, you know, so, but it, it's like I said, when I got older and a little bit more like, damn, you know, 10 years ago, if you asked me, would you want your son to be a heavyweight champion of the world? I'm like, hell yeah, my son raised him to be the heavyweight champion of the world. And now I go, you know, the last thing I want is my son to be getting punched in the head for the rest of the world. You know, right. you know what I mean? And then as soon as he gets knocked out, everyone turns on him and he's, he was never nothing. He, he's a has-been. And then, and then he's living with these, this brain issues, yeah. getting punched in the head. So I love boxing. And I, I like I said, raised on it. But uh, yeah, a little older, you think a little different sometimes. Yeah, yeah but they, you kind of see the same logic being applied to football. I mean, it's a different, different sport, head contact, head trauma different, obviously. Uh, but you see the same logic, you know, over the last decade, especially like there, there was this turn against football, especially for kids where like, you know, as a society, we started saying, well, look, look at all the data the NFL's got, look at the brain injuries. Uh, you know, you look at, look at some of the guys who had devastating outcomes. What's his face who committed suicide, uh, who played for the chargers. Um, I can't think Junior of his name. Seau. Junior Seau. Yeah. I mean, you go down the list. And so there's this turn against it. And, you know, it, are, is that, is that an overreaction? I mean, like we need, is there a, an important place in society for physicality and encouraging kind of environments with controlled violence for, especially for young people to engage in it and to, you know, and well, how, I don't like to, to get something, is there something valuable that they derive from it? But how young are we talking? You know you, what I mean? Your because, pick, I'm your pick. I just, I'm, yeah, I just I, think it, it does seem like there's an important role for this. I, I really, so I just want to kind of piggyback off of what RA said. I, I agree with him. I, I think, I do think that there is value in facing your fears. Like that's why I got into boxing was yeah. like, it, it's, it's one thing to stand in front of a man eye to eye and have to fight him. And you're not mad at him. You know what I'm saying? Like there's anybody can fight when they're angry. You know what I'm saying? Like anybody can throw punches. You see little, you see girls throwing punches, but when you have to stand in front of a man and you're not angry or anything like that, but you have to stand there and take his punches and punch back. That's a different mentality. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you have to strategize. And, and I think that there's a lesson for that. 
Is yeah, anger, I'm, as you mentioned it, is anger good in boxing or does it make you sloppy? No, I think it's terrible. No. Yeah, no. it's the worst thing you can do. Fighting um, off of emotion makes you lose a fight. It's a chessboard, man. You got to be on your chess game out there. You, right. can't, you, you never know. see Floyd Mayweather angry. <laughs> That's one thing. I've never seen him really angry. I mean, he the acts only, a little the, bit. The only time anger works is if you go out there the first round and you get lucky and you, oh, and, and, and you, and you clip them. You know, uh -huh. but after that one round of anger or two rounds, ah, you know, then, then you're doomed because the guy, okay, that anger didn't yeah. put me down, I'm good, and, and you're getting your head boxed off, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, you're yeah. on tilt and you're not thinking straight. George Foreman said, uh, you know, fear is one of the best things in boxing. He said when he fought Joe Frazier, which you saw he annihilated one of the great champions of his time, but when he was walking out to the ring, he said his, his knees were shaking. Like, he was like this. And then as soon as he started throwing them bombs, bow, bow, you know, destroyed Frazier, one of the greats. Mike, Mike Tyson said the same thing. He said he was a great fighter because he was afraid. You know, yeah. I do think fear, it can work both ways. You know what I mean? Because if you're afraid, you get tight. You know, you got to be relaxed, you know. I, I remember seeing Evander Holyfield used to sing church songs in the back of the, you know, in the back, like he was just relaxing, you know, so that when he came out, it was just like, it was like a day at the office. It's like, if you're going to, Vince, if you're going to interview the president, mm -hmm. you know, if you're there shaking, because you're about to be in front of the president, mm -hmm. like, you're not going to give a good interview, right? You know, you, you need to have that relaxed like it's another day at the office. And I think it's like that in, in life. So I, in, but in you know ways, what? I think fighting is the same kind of thing. I agree with you. And this is what I was talking about. It's like you get you get something. It literally punches you in the face. I mean, the lessons that, right. that are here in, in boxing. It's like, it's like, yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I do feel like fear of failure has been one of the greatest inducers of whatever success I've had in my life. So like yeah. that analogy that you just gave interviewing the president, I've done that. I did that very thing. I did it three times. And each time I was scared that humble brag. No, no, no. But I'm, I'm telling you, I, which, I, president, I, which president Trump, I interviewed Trump three times. And each oh. time I was scared that like, I would miss, I would, I would misuse the opportunity that I would fail. And so I would go, we, we did, I did extensive prep. I did like crazy prep. I, I thought through every, I mean, you talk about boxing, you probably think through punches and weaknesses and strengths. You think I thought through all of his answers. I, I knew in general, which way he would answer kind of like, like the way that you, you know how Trump would intercept people. Like he would like cut you off as soon as you start asking the question, as soon as you use like a proper noun that he has a brain thought about, like he would just start speaking. Right. So I would, I tailored my questions down. You know, I, I made them so that I got right to the point, not a lot of like throat clearing or anything because it's going to go off in some direction on and on and on. But the point is like fear of failure, fear of losing Fear of getting your face beat in, I don't know. It just seems it's a good motivator. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. Insecurities. And oh, go go ahead, Ari. My bad. That's it. Insecurities is, is what makes a lot of men great. A lot of times, yeah, my yeah. good enough, my good enough. So you work to be better and better and better, and then wow, it's great. You know, sometimes the uh, confidence. Oh, I'm already great. I'm already great. Sometimes that's that's uh, the killer. You know, you, you yeah. Know, when you're good enough, you're already so overconfident. Sometimes you need a little insecurity to kick you in your ass and. Uh, Make it special. Can I move? I want to move into to your career as a rapper because uh, first of all, I should I should admit that all right, I I've, I've been unfamiliar with you, unfortunately, because oh. in preparation for this interview, I started like listening to some of your music, and it's like, first of all, you have incredible talent. I have to say, uh, and 
Um, I know I, this, Jason already knows this. So I'm preaching to the choir. You already know this. But the reality is I, I'm watching some of this stuff. I'm like, man, this guy's great. And actually, I'm excited about it because it means you've got a whole catalog of work that now I can finally be exposed to, uh, which is cool. Um, I really like uh, the video that you got pinned to the top of your Twitter. It's, your, uh, uh, it's a music video that you did um, called Firstborn about your daughter. And um, I love that. I identify with it because I've got a seven-year-old daughter and I, I feel I could feel so many of the lessons that you have right there. How old's your daughter now, by the way? It's going to be six in like two weeks, man. It's crazy. six years old. It, it, so it's cool, man. So you know how fast it goes. It's crazy. You know, we just I did. Want my, I want my little baby back. She's, she's already, she's, she's 10 times smarter than the father already. She's, you know, correcting me at everything. All right, little girl, you got that. She's a smart kid. Yeah. My son, my son will be five in February. So. Well, I encourage people to take a look at this thing. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great video. It's on the top of RA, the rugged man's Twitter account. Um, but I just want to ask you about your craft. Like, have do you feel like you've gotten better through the years, through through the reps? And is it do you how hard do you have to work at it? I guess is is the question. Well, you know, it's a competitive sport, like you know, like boxing. If if you lay down too long and you're not training, you know, the young kids are gonna come up and whoop your butt. So you gotta stay sharp. So yeah, you gotta write as much as possible, you know, whenever you can, whenever your kids aren't jumping on you, whenever you're not out touring whenever you're not you know uh you got to keep your pen sharp like anything like anything you do you know so yeah and, so how and, often are you writing are you writing just like all the time well my kids are away with their grandparents right now so i've been writing every, like you know 15 hours a day you know because then when they come back you don't got time for nothing right. so you know as soon as they're gone i'm, I'm my pen's on fire you know so yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you ever feel like like I, I was listening to to one of your songs and you were like, you had a $1.8 million deal and it, and it fell through. And I remember like the buzz about R-rated Rugged Man, R-rated Rugged Man. And I, and I look, I'm gonna keep it real with you because that's the only thing I know how to do. Um, in, the, in the like late nineties, when cats would be like, there's this white rapper, I'd be like, here we go. You know what I mean? Like it felt like there was like this, this desire to make white rappers great. You know what I mean? So, and you know, to be honest, a lot of us are real protective of the culture. You know what I'm saying? So, and then I heard you and I was like, all right, man, this, this, this dude is nice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but um, in the early nineties, most people didn't even know I was a white guy because there was no internet, there was nothing and the right. tapes were weak and they just thought already right, rugged man. And it was funny, one time I did a stage show and the, my producer, Mark Niles, he was a black guy. He, he's the guy that discovered me when I was 16. And he was on stage hyping me up. And somebody was like, yeah. And uh, Crustify Dibs, that, that was the alias, he brought respected rapper Ari the Rugged Man on stage for credibility. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Wait. You know, thinking Mark Niles, the black man, was already the rugged man. You know, so right. none of that that was my producer. I'm already the rugged man, you know. But a lot of people didn't know I was was white until I think closer to the late 90s. You know, that's when they started saying it, you know. Yeah, I, th I think that's when I when I kind of figured when I when when Def Jam wanted because I had a nine label bid and war, they all wanted me. And when Def Jam wanted me, they said keep it a secret and not show your face because we're going to build up your credibility and let them know, yo, look, look at the man's skills. And then once they know, 
then we could boom, pop it off and, and R-rate a white guy. So, you know, that was, uh, it was early in the game, you know, there wasn't too many, uh, too many on the scene. It was a handful, you know, MC Surge, yeah. Beastie Boys before that, you know, stuff like that, you know. So. And you didn't, the thing was, you never made your whiteness a gimmick. You know what I mean? Like, for example, I remember there was a rapper that I really liked. I thought he was dope. You may remember a rapper named Milkbone. He was from right. Jersey. He was from yeah, Jersey. from Jersey. Kid was nice. I thought he, you know, I had his album. I thought, you know, Keep It Real is a, is a classic. It has a great, great beat and, and, and a flow on it. Yeah, Keep It Real. Right, and that, and that sample from Life's a Bitch, like, that yeah. was crazy. But the fact that his name was Milkbone, you know what I mean? And he made his whiteness like a thing, I think worked against him in the long run. Um, well, that was that was also a thing too because House of Pain blew up on on you know uh, Amanda Shear, uh, Amanda Demi, I think she was helping manage them and and you know they all did the whole Irish you know uh, Shamrocks and and the Irish Parade and it really went over big, and then Amanda and them had like groups like Lords of Brooklyn, uh, uh, Lords of Brooklyn out out of uh, and wanted to do the Italian thing you know the poster was like John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever and and you know the whole thing played up pizza boxes was you know so you know, they saw it's a selling point because it, you can't avoid that. It's like when the Beastie Boys came out, as as much legendary hip hop was before the Beastie Boys, you throw three white faces out there and all of a sudden the Beastie Boys was the, the hottest selling album in the history of hip hop. Right. You know, we know it was a good album. It was produced by Rick and, and, and Russell and, and they were down with Run DMC, but it was the biggest rap album of all time because it's a white face. So that 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 is part of... of you know what they want to sell and also then vanilla ice came out he was the second biggest rap album in history i think he sold 11 million behind mc hammer it's like so um and 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 think about it. what was the percentage of white rappers it was like one percent you know and they, they just happened to be the biggest selling albums of all time so they know this is a marketable thing uh in a lot of cases you know so yeah but i, I think one of the things is you they, they tried to say since since it's all about lyricism with me, keep it so they look at the guy as a lyricist, not as the white thing. I mean, I'm not a marketing guy. I just want to rap. So if you right. see I'm white, I'm white. If you see, if you don't think, I don't care. Just listen to the music and, and hear me rap. And that's why I'm here, you know? So so that's 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 my whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I dig that. And one of the things though, about kind of marketing the white thing with the exception of, of the Beastie Boys, and shout out to MCA, one of the nicest dudes in hip hop I ever met. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace, yo. Rest in peace to that that brother. Um, like those dudes, with the exception of them, all those other white rappers that marketed their whiteness first didn't have longevity. Like you've got longevity, M's got longevity, and part of that is also you know as major is the skill, but it's also because you didn't put your whiteness out there first, it felt like. A am I wrong about that or, or how do you feel? Uh, you know, I'm not sure anymore. I think uh, all the struggles of, of the industry and, and just trying to kick it up a notch every year and uh, skill level and working on skill and working harder than, than, than I would have if I had success from the front. I think just the, the hard work ethic and, and I'm not sure what it is. Just there, you know, three decades of touring the world, three decades of selling out shows, three decades of keeping a fan base, 
you know, it's not it's not like a pop fan base, like a Drake level, but it's like right. literally three decades of being able to play shows all over the country or not the country all over the world. Like I could do one in Poland. I could do one in Russia. I could do I'm supposed to do Chile right. uh, uh, January 15th, but uh, they don't know yet with uh, the new covid strain. You know, that's up in the air right now. It's only like 16 days away, but. Um, they're not sure if that's happening. I mean, I toured the whole planet. And before before COVID, I was doing 150 shows a year, you know, wow. and, and a lot of sold out shows all over the globe. So that's all for doing independent music and, and keeping it consistent and, and touring and touring and touring and, and, and growing a fan base. You know, I did a lot of it independently. When I was with the major labels, you relied on the major labels. And that's when uh, when it was tough, you know. Once Once I left that, and did it all independently that everything everything fell into place you know so yeah i i can say this um because you know i never like i i say i'm semi-retired as an mc but you know i was signed to caroline imperial uh okay. with neil levine back in the day and anybody who can make a living for 30 years off of that because i couldn't make a living for one <laughs> you know what i mean like it was it was a struggle. I always had to have a job, even when, you know, I was like, oh, we signed a deal. We're doing this. We're on the radio. You know, we got a song on the radio in this city, in that city. And, you know, we're doing shows. I couldn't survive off of $300, $500 shows. You know what I'm saying? And you made a living off of it. Where are you from? I'm from Maryland. Oh, wow. All right. All right. DC area, DC, Baltimore area. DC, shout out to the Bad Brains. You know who they are? Yeah, of course. Yeah, they, they was from DC. My man Daryl Jennifer, he lives in uh, Woodstock now for the last couple of decades. But uh, they were legendary in the hardcore scene. Yeah. Uh, so um, you know, Fugazi also DC guys. Yeah. With um the whole go-go -Go movement, right? Like doing the butt and all of that. Wasn't that all uh, DC? Uh, yeah. Go-Go yeah. EU. Shout out! E shout out to yep, Sugar yep. Bear. Yep, Sugar Bear from school. Yeah. More with R.A. the Rugged Man in a moment. But in the meantime, we want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Gold Cup. So let's talk a little politics. You know what I mean? I know that's what Vince has been waiting for. Um, and, and of course, we probably got to go right to some of the, um, the controversial stuff that's been happening lately. You know what I mean? I'm sure you knew that that question was coming. How did that interview with Tim Pool actually happen? Well, I'm friends with Luke Radowski. He was, uh, he came from the era of like, you know, running up on, on uh, war criminals, you know, and he right. run up on them and, and, hey, you're a war criminal. And, uh, oh, this guy's cool. So we, we became cool. And I did uh, Anarcho, An Anarchy Poco or whatever. It's like, uh, do you know that event? It's like Anarchy in Acapulco in Mexico. Oh, okay. And, uh, I don't know it. Yeah, I did that event. He got me over there and, and uh, you know, he came out in New York. I had Lindsey Snell, who's like a great, great journalist that was like kidnapped by Al Qaeda and, and, and locked up in a Turkish prison. And, and, and she just has a hell of a story. So I connected them and um, we had dinner together a few times, stuff like that. So, oh, and when, when, when Luke was out in Berlin, he interviewed me. So he asked me in my inbox, he said, come to Tim Pool. And I wasn't really up on Tim Pool, but I seen him around. I seen like one kind of bootlickerish video he did. But like I saw Tim with Luke, I figured, oh, these guys, are, you know. And then uh, when, I, when they flew me to Maryland, 
um, the girl who produces the show, she said, hey, watch his show from 10 a.m. or this and that. So I was in my hotel and I started watching one. And then I saw one where it was like critical race theory is terrible. And this, and I started seeing all this anti-black stuff and like, oh, Derek Chauvin. So I'm like, what the hell is this guy? So I went there and they treated me uh, really beautifully, really nice. And I'm like, okay, okay, let's see what up. But I said, I, I have to bring up, you know, this the anti-black stuff that I hear on the show because I'm here, you know? Right. So um, there are things I agree with, with him on, you know, I'm not a fan of the Democrats. I uh, believe, you know, I'm not a big fan of big tech censoring, you know, opponents and all of this stuff. I agree with that stuff. But there was too many instances where it was like, the black guy's bad, the black guy did bad. And, and you know, here, look on my, my feet, Kwanzaa's bad, pro-black is bad, black power is bad, everything black is bad for his fan base. So right. I just wanted to address it. And I did, you know, so that's that's how that all came up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you like the critical race theory stuff, I can't I can't address every single one of, of those things because I don't actually know the context for each of them. But I'll just take critical race theory as an example. You know, there's a bunch of um, parents who are concerned about critical race theory in schools of like all backgrounds, black, including black parents. When there's no evidence that it's actually being taught in schools. Well, it's a it's this is a pedagogical question. This is it's basically that you take the principles of critical race theory and they're applied in academics at all levels rather than teaching critical race theory in schools, right? This is, that's not the, right. some, that's so not some the issue. Some fourth grade teacher with just a college education knows critical race theory because she studied at law school or in graduate school. No, that's where they teach critical. Okay. Race let theory. me, all right, let me, let, that's a fair critique. Let me, let me uh, stretch it out. What I'm talking about is kind of the race essentialism that's being referred to as a catch-all as critical race theory. Is that is that fair? Okay, fine. Okay, so so what I mean by that is like in telling kids that their destiny is determined by their race. And so there's a lot of parents who are very concerned about that and the way that those conversations take place inside of the classroom and certainly with the teachers. So they've been raising their voices about it. I don't think that's particularly anti-black. I, I think it's pro-human to be concerned about those things. Why weren't they concerned six months ago or, or two years ago? They've been told it's part of a fear-mongering campaign to, to gain points. And right now, the anti-black movement is very strong. You know, it's like, uh, so why, why all of a sudden, oh, critical rate? Because they're, getting, they're watching all these videos. They're watching Fox News that's telling, oh, this is the devil. Look, they're telling you, you're evil, 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 evil. Critical race theory, evil, evil. So um, that's all it is. It's another smear campaign that, that they're consumed by because they keep being told, this is going to get your kids. It's going to make your kids hate themselves. No kids going home hating themselves. It, you know, it's all part of the fear scam. So, so you know, and, and everybody watching this, from from that angle, they go, no, you're wrong. They made they told the white person he was evil. No, who who who? They find one bad person. It's the same thing they do with riots. It's the same mm -hmm. thing they do with anything. They find the one bad person that did one thing, or one teacher that said something stupid, and they'll say that's the whole thing of critical race theory. It's propaganda, and it's pick and choose sensationalism clips to scare people. And, and look, look, they're, they're big. 
there's one guy, what state is it, where he's trying to ban like 150 books? Mm -hmm. Like he's 800. It's 800 books? It's 850. And all it's these free speech right-wingers, oh, we're freedom of speech. They're not complaining about that. They're told, oh, Dr. Zeus, they tried to ban Dr. Zeus. <laughs> but like, but but like, what about the 800 books that they're trying to ban? Mm -hmm. that, that's LBG too, to, you know, uh, um, and, and, and pro-black books. Well, not even pro-black, just, just historical books. They're trying to ban these books in schools and none of, none of the right-wingers complain about it. They don't care because if they're banning something that they're not into, they're all for it. But then they complain about, oh, ban, cancel culture. You know, it's it's a fake fraud, you know? Well, there's that. I agree with you. There's definitely some of that for sure. And I think, I honestly think that's a bipartisan issue. It's like your your standards change the moment it works to your advantage. I agree. Uh, I, 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 I definitely can see that point. I just think that it's there's a danger here in being too reductive. It's like, like so if... One, kind of like you mentioned that a lot of this gets brought up in a political season. Things that are political are not all inherently bad, right? So politics is the way we, we redress grievances in a society. We kind of handle the things that we debate. So, of course, you're going to point to problems and say, hey, there should be a political solution to this. So you're right. Sometimes the volume is going to turn up on various problems in society ahead of an election. The question then becomes like, is it real or is it being trumped up? Is it fake? And that, that is, that's a perfectly good question. But like, for instance, like, you know, call it like, I don't know if you use the word, but like pointing to like the riots that we've seen in the United States, you know, there were actually a lot of people's lives that were affected by it. And typically they were the people who lived in the most vulnerable communities in our country, the kinds of places that mostly get ignored by the media. There were actually billions of dollars of insurance claims that were made in these cities for the damage that was done there. And more importantly, there were dozens of lives actually lost, including um, and especially black lives that were lost during the riots last year. So, I mean, it's not like that was a fiction that was definitely going on. Now you can, you can assess if, as you do, um, is it getting too much attention? Is it being overhyped? But it did seem like it was a real phenomenon. I, I, you don't have to turn to Fox news to have determined that, don't you think? To determine what that, that, that uh, there were definitely riots going on and there was destruction and it wasn't it wasn't just like an occasional isolated yeah, there, there incident. Was, well, well, there was a lot of good people in the streets. I know they're not going to say that, but there was a lot of good people in the streets that were fighting against police brutality, and it worked because Derek Chauvin guilty. Uh, you know, they're starting to they're starting to come through. What's the the police woman that just shot the boy guilty? You know, a year uh -huh. ago, two yep. years ago. They wouldn't have been guilty. They wouldn't even probably went to trial. Would have been like, ah, whatever, you know, throw it under the rug. They they weren't uh, convicting cops of that stuff like that. So it, the 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 people coming and and coming out in bunches and saying, hey, you know, we we had enough because mm -hmm. I mean they've, they've been killing people in the streets forever. Right. So when does it stop? So a movement right. had to occur. So so the movement began, and it's beginning to work. So yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to have, you know, uh, I have empathy for all lost lives, of course. Uh, but as far as the movement, uh, you have to look at the positive as well, you know? So. Can I, can I also interject that um, some of, some of the, the more violent, and I, first of all, I think there should be a distinction between violence and destruction of property. Those are not the same thing. Um, you know, I had a lot of my friends go to jail for graffiti. You know, that, that's not, you could argue that it's destruction of property, but it's not, it's not violence. So I think that people a lot of times conflate those two when it's come to some of the things that we've seen. Um, now, again, you know, a lot of the, 
uh, or some of the destruction that we've seen in those in those uprisings was, you know, and it's been proven some of it were was provocateurs like the Boogaloo Boys and other people going through breaking windows and trying to get things hyped up. Even even Max, um, what's the guy from the Gray Zone? Max. Max Rosenblum or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know him. He used to rap. He used to rap in DC. Uh, anyway, point being, um, Max Blumenthal, that's his name, Max Blumenthal. Yeah. Yeah. Even he followed some dudes who were all dressed in black, and it turns out, you know, they got into like an unmarked car. It was like crazy. So, you know, let's not leave off the table that some of this could have been um, done by provocateurs. Uh, the other thing that I would say is um, if y'all, I don't know if y'all remember this, but do you remember that when the media hyped up this idea of, a, of the knockout game? Yeah, of course. They always that, do. Yeah. Look, that black, black teenagers all over the country. Thing. Look, yeah. look at all these terrible black people and then all these racist white people put up the clips like, look at these animals. Look, and, then, and then they get the, they, they have the right to call black people savages. Look at these savages. Look at these awful black people. And you go to their page and it's all, every retweet is like a, a black person doing something terrible. But then they worship Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, it's like. And, and the thing was, you found out the knockout game wasn't real. Yep. Like. It wasn't a re it wasn't a thing. They were making it seem like it was this nationwide phenomenon of black people looking for unsuspecting white people to be walking around and just punch them in the face and but see if they can knock them out. And doing since the beginning of history is, is villainize the black man, villainize the black man, the black man, scary black man, rapist black man, terrible black man, murderer of hoodlum black man. That's what they've been doing since the beginning of, of America's existence, you know, and they continue. But right. now we got the digital world, you know, let's put it on Twitter. Like, eh, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing, just different devils. Right. Right. You know, I, I, I do think that I think I agree with you on a general principle that the media has is this massive distortion filter in through which reality doesn't flow. And, you know, like I, you know, there was a remember there was a, the case. What was the name of the girl who uh, ended up murdered or the guy killed himself to uh, laundry uh, and get I forget what her yeah, name was. that was right. Right next to my cousin's house in, in Long Island. Yeah. 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 So so. You've got, um, well, I'm talking about Brian Laundry down in Florida. I don't know if this is the same case. I don't know. Um, the, the family's from Long Island. They, oh, are you know, they? Yeah, yeah. They, 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 both, I, they both went to school in Long Island and, and the case happened. In, yeah, Gabby uh, Petito, that was the name of the girl. So, Holbrook, I think. So that story goes down. And then there's all this criticism in some of the basically the more liberal news outlets who come out and they say, well, how come we're focused on Gabby Petito, but we never focus on all of these, you know, non-white people who get kidnapped or disappear. We don't spend any time on that subject. And that, that's like a useful form of media criticism, except the people who are saying it, they've got these platforms and they don't do that. They never do that. They don't spend any time on those issues. And then they, and then they come out and they're like, and they're like, you know, what's a real problem is that no one else, no, we're never covering these non-white people when they go missing. The whole thing is like a sham. It's like, what, what are you talking about? You've got the platform to do it. How come sure. you're not doing it? No, no I, agree. I agree with you 100%, 100%. Yeah, like like I saw some of the clips like like acting like her death didn't mean anything because, you know, uh, Gabby, uh, how you say her name, Petito? Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it was horrendous and it was horrible. And it was a story, the man was on the run 
it was a story that people wanted to hear about and they wanted to see justice served and it wasn't obviously and and then you know throw back into sensationalism with the celebrity thing they had the the who's the bounty hunter guy oh i'm gonna get him dog yeah bad in there so it was a story the public wanted to hear about so to say oh this isn't so important it was kind of a little disrespectful to 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 uh, the girl. The thing that was crazy to me, though, which people get mad at me, I'm sure, because I never said this publicly, but the way they attacked uh, the murderer's parents, like he, they were the, you know, they they were part of, they were the worst people that ever lived, and I was kind of like, you know, their son did the worst act of all time. He's he's done. His life is over. They're crushed. They're mourning. They know he's got he's. You know, so you're not going to act rational. You 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 know, you're panicking. You're losing your mind. I mean, I I don't think people have empathy for for, for a whole situation. They just like these are the bad guys. These are the good guys. Yep. Yeah. Uh, in that situation, I seen the way they were going after his parents. Arrest his parents. His parents are the worst. And I was <laughs> kind of like, it's a, a poor couple who knows their son did this horrible act, and uh, they lost their son. They know he's done. If it's not jail for life, he, he's going to kill himself or the you know. So I think uh, the way they were, you know, uh, who cares, man? I, you know, the world is just crazy. It, yeah. Everything turns well, into the Frankenstein with the torches chasing yeah. it down. And I, these are always think they're the good people. Let's hunt them down with torches. Right. right. Into that, you know, so. Right. Let, let me just say, like, with the Gabby Petito situation, um, I don't know if this happened, to be honest, but I, I'll just say, like, anybody who was upset with Gabby Petito or her family trying to to gather as much information from the public and get as much coverage from the public um, in order to find their daughter is an idiot and certainly isn't a parent. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like anybody would want yeah. to do that. Hell yeah. And, and we're, you know, the three of us have daughters. You know what I mean? I got two, one of them screaming, you know, in the room next door. You know, man, if my uh, daughter went missing, I call both of you up. I don't even know RA. I'd be like, all right, I had a conversation right. with you once, but if you know anybody who can help me, I would, pull, I would I'd be like, yo, all right, let me come on your Twitter. Let me, you know, retweet me. Do, you know what I mean? Of course, yeah. for my daughters or my son. But let me just say, um, the thing is, that might happen for your daughters. It doesn't happen for people who look like my daughters. And that's that's the issue. That is a real issue. So let me let me just do this. We're we're all somehow kind of close in age. So let me ask you this. How many of you have heard the name Elizabeth Smart? Mm -hmm. You know Elizabeth Smart, right? Mm -hmm. You know Chandra Levy. You know Jean Benet Ramsey. You know um Amanda Berry. These are names you know, right? Can you name one black girl who went missing that became national news? You know, um, what was the one that went to Aruba? What was her name? Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway was the biggest story of 2005. Right. You know what else happened in 2005? Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. And Natalie Holloway was the number one story. Mm -hmm. So thousands of mostly black people losing their homes, losing their lives. Some of those bodies are still in those buildings. And her going missing was bigger news than that. It got more coverage. Wow. And so, you know, JonBenet Ramsey, I saw something about JonBenet Ramsey the other day on TV. And there yeah. had to be, she'd be like 35 now. 
Right. So the thing is, true. 40% of, you know, one of my friends does a lot of stuff on human trafficking. 40% of the people that are human trafficked in this country. As a matter of fact, one of the names for human trafficking was white slavery. 40% are black women. And so for me, yes, that's an issue. I, you know, the black press does follow it, by the way. You know, like Jet Magazine used to do stuff on missing black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> with all of that, it is frustrating. Of course, I would do anything. You know, I'm, I'm getting to know R.A., R.A. I'm, yeah, I feel like we're homies now. Vince, you're my man. We disagree on lots of stuff, but you're my brother. Like, I would do anything if something happened and you needed my help with your daughters. My thing is the press would follow that. The press doesn't follow my daughters. Amanda Berry, if you remember that thing in Cleveland, there were two other girls there, three, two or three. And we all know Amanda Berry's name. You know why we don't know the other two, the other girls? Because they were Puerto Rican. Don't even know their names. It was Puerto Rican girls in there because the guy who got them was Ariel Castro. Mm-hmm. And he had them. But everybody knew Amanda Berry when the, when, the, when the dude with the funny hair, the black dude, kicked in the door. He was like, you know, Amanda Berry, because we heard her name all over the city. But you never heard about those Puerto Rican girls who were in there for years, giving birth to the guy's kids. True, true. So I... I understand where y'all are coming from and it's not Gabby Petito's fault. And of course it's not, it's not Natalie Holloway's fault. I think there's a class element to that too, because I don't know who gets to go on their senior trip to Aruba. You know, I went to a really nice school and we didn't go to Aruba for, for senior. We went to ocean city, Maryland. You know what I mean? But I think there's probably a class element and, and the people they had access to. Yeah. But that became a huge story you know, when it's, when it's a white this? girl. And even you said it, when we talked about it, Vince, you were like, uh, you were like, well, Gabby Petito is a cute white girl. You, you remember mm-hmm. when we had that conversation? Yeah. I'm just thinking, actually, as you're talking now, I'm thinking it's also, also like pretty privileged too. It's like, right, it's like the media, the media takes, don't get to be pretty. The media will take a picture of, you know, an attractive kidnapped victim and put it on screen, and then they think that'll get you to unmute your TV. That like you know maybe so no no black girls attention. are pretty enough. That that's ask a TV producer. Ask these which guys shouldn't be. It together. Yeah, shouldn't well, be about prettiness. But remember. even if it is, we don't we don't see any black girls that fit that description. You Go know ahead, what right. I mean? So yeah, yeah. It, it, it's you know as a black man, a black father who has black daughters and a black son, like you know for me. I look at it like I want every, and this is the thing, everybody thinks this is what these white supremacist guys that pretend to be left wing on, on, on the internet, they make it seem like, oh, these black people, they want to bring you down. No, I want to bring myself up so I get the same access to stuff that you get. You know what I mean? That was the whole idea. It's not about trying to bring Gabby Petito down and take her off the TV. It's like, hey, why don't we have, Shakisha Jackson, I'm just making up a name, or Felicia Barnes, who was somebody in Baltimore who got a little bit of press, you know, and that went through several states, but it wasn't nationwide news. It was, it was local, you know, why don't we talk about Natalie Holloway and Felicia Barnes, the same amount. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm asking for. I, I want to find, if I could find Natalie Holloway, 
you know, you know, most in most, you know, she's probably not around anymore, but I don't think they ever found her. You also know it's, it's a ratings game they play and, right. uh, you know, what's going to bring it, you know, like I said, the sensationalism and, and, and uh, the celebrity attached to it and everybody came to the, you know, and they had the videotape of the cops and they made a big thing out of it. I'm not too familiar with it that, you know, I know the basics of it, so I don't want to go too deep into it, but you're totally right about that. Do you guys remember a weird case from my childhood where like a boy was kidnapped and it was national news everywhere. And then dec a couple decades later, they said that he was in Bush's cat. There's a conspiracy theory that he was like a gay guy, a gay prostitute in, in Bush two's uh, cabinet. You know who I'm talking about? Johnny. You guys don't ah, remember? Yo, I never heard that one. Look it up, man. It's a boy, Johnny something. And he got kidnapped. And it was a it was national news all over. And then and then uh, fifteen years later, they said he said he was a child uh, slave, and and he he was and and then there was a, a gay guy in the Bush Two's cabinet. And they said he was a gay prostitute, and they said that he, that's him. You know that was the big conspiracy theory. You know, so I don't know much about it. It's <laughs> the fun look up. Should I go shut off my phone? Keeps beeping. Should no, we can't hear it. It's all right. Yeah, I haven't heard it. It's right. it, it's it's all right. So what motivates you politically? All right. I mean, you know, obviously you've been doing some political podcasts here. You, you, it's, it's an issue that's important to you. You know, what's the thing that motivates you about politics? Well, you know, my family, where I come from, I come from, you know, uh, my father was a, a highly decorated uh, soldier in the Vietnam War. He was a Green Beret in the Army. He was a, a Screaming Eagle in, in the Airborne, in, in the Air Force uh, uh, 101 Infantry. Um and uh, he got shot down and, and um, my family was affected by that because, it, you know, they put him into all these secret missions where Agent Orange was sprayed. Mm. So I've told this story many times, but it's a true story. So then my brother, he was born, he couldn't walk or talk and he was blind. My sister, she couldn't walk or talk and see. My nephew, he lived six months and his body just collapsed. So, so, um, I was raised by my father and at 10 years old, he had me in the, the kill them all, let God, you know, sort them out. You know, I was the gung ho guns, you know, he had me shooting 22s in, in the garage four or five years old. So I came from that. And then um, as, as time went on, I started realizing like, wow, like my father, 17 year old kid, they put him in this war. Yeah. They trained him to be a killer. And then you look into the Vietnam War, and then you look into every war since. Right. And you go, what was the purpose of any of it, for real? Yeah. And, and, and those guys I, got, of course, crapped on when they came back, too. Of course. Just to add insult to injury. Of course. But even then, it's like, not even just my family. If you look at the children in Vietnam, and, and like all of the people uh, born disfigured with no eye sockets and no limbs and and women having like miscarriages and, and their, their baby's body parts falling apart when they come, like Agent Orange really destroyed, destroyed so many lives. And, and Monsanto is this company that, and Bayer just bought them out for like $1.3 billion. And you get some, some people that try to defend them go, it's not the same, it's the same, you know, it's, it's the same thing. They just, they just know they have to reinvent themselves, but it's like, uh, so, uh, so yeah, I slowly started, looking into that and, and coming, coming from, from 
like I said, a military background, a military father, you start thinking, oh, guns and blazing and this and that. And then you start going like, wait, people are really actually dying. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have a little cousin who's raised by his military father. And I, I heard him talk and he was like, well, if they mess with America, we'll just kill them. And, re-. and, and I was like, little boy, listen, how would you feel if we're sitting at the dinner table right now with your mom, your dad, and a missile comes through the house and blows up your family and you're left there with no family. That's what's happening. That's what the USA is doing to other countries and other children and other families. And, and right now you think you're young, you think it's cool, kill them all, kill them all. Cause I was 10 years old with the same, kill them all, let God sort them out. Mm-hmm. And that's brainwashing. That's the same thing that we complain. Oh, look what the, what the Al Qaeda is doing to their children. Their children have guns and they want to kill us. It's like the same thing that we <laughs> do to our children. With, with this this pro-America, pro-military, kill, kill, kill. And, and, and you know, so that's yeah. a big part of what got me into uh, a bit of politics, yes. So, is, there, is there like, um, and I know like you, you said, you, you don't like Democrats, you don't like Republicans. Is there, is there a candidate that kind of represents a little bit of, of your interests or your politics that you could see yourself supporting? Um, at this moment, I, I I can't see one. You know, like like you know, we need we need a new batch of people. We, the, the people they're throwing at us from both sides are just you know. Uh, so I don't see anybody at the moment that I'm that I'm into. No. So uh, I mean, you, if you get the anti-war rhetoric of like a, a of a young Ron Paul, you know, when he was you know, hey, get, let's get out of all the countries, let's not go to war. That was that was decent of him, you know. But his son is. Uh, you know, Rand. Yeah, not uh, he's not his father. You know, right. <laughs> and then you have Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard, who had this whole anti-war rhetoric. Her whole thing was like anti-war, and and you know, look, Kamala locked up all these black folks, and Kamala, you know, and then as soon as the election ended, she she started turning into pro-war again, and blah blah. And it's like you know, so these people who 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 could we even trust in in this day and age? You know. Mm-hmm. It's like right. if you go to other European countries too, though, if, if you go to European countries like Germany, where I'm in, there's five, six, seven, eight parties. And, and But we're brainwashed in America where we believe that the, only these two parties, so we, we're stuck with Biden and Trump and Trump and Hillary. And and and, and the next election, who are we going to get? Biden or Kamala versus what? What? It's like Trump again, maybe. It's like we have our country is, it's almost like the fall of the Roman Empire. Do we have any hope? Is there any America left? It's like we really have like, Angela, Angela Merkel, I'm not a big fan of her politics, but when, when she spoke in Germany, it was like an intelligent human being having a conversation. And, and, and you know, that's not Trump, that's not Biden. We have idiots, you know? And, and, and it, like, even go to Putin, who, who obviously his politics are terrible on so many levels, and he's not a good man, but like take Joe Biden and then Putin, and they have the press there. Putin, hey, American press, whoever wants to ask me something, ask me something. He'll just talk to you because he's smart enough to have a conversation and not be scripted. Hey, ask me something. American press, as soon as as soon as Joe Biden gets up there, we must protect him and only give him the press that we know the you know who the guy is and what's what. And like, why are you scared to answer questions? You know, because they're not smart enough. Our our our, our leaders, our, our leaders, you know, if they lead us, even aren't smart enough to even have conversations i mean you've seen the 
let's go uh, Brandon thing. Like, come on, are you, are you that out of touch? You get on TV, you go, yeah, let's go, Brandon. I agree. You know, like, you know, you're that out of touch, Joe Biden, where you don't even know what that means. You know, it's, it's like, come on, guys. I think he knew what it mean, meant. I think he was trying to like. Oh, you do? Yeah, I, I, I think he did. I, I don't think he. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, was I think he was trying to be like, yeah, because what was he going to be like? Yeah, fuck you, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, I yeah. really I was re I've been relitigating. I don't know about you guys, but I've been relitigating that moment. Like, God, if I was Biden, I wouldn't have said that. Like, that yeah, just like, makes I you. Agree. He said, I agree. He goes, I agree. Like, if you want to if you want to take the air out of it, just like attack it as like an immoral front. Like, hey, whoa, whoa, we just had a nice conversation. I don't know why you would say something like that. Uh, but Merry Christmas to you. I hope your family is well. And then you move on to somebody else. I mean, he didn't look like he had his footing. Like he was like, aha, I agree. Yeah. His, his I wife, agree with that. I mean, I think he got caught cringing. off guard. His wife was cringing sitting next to him. Yeah, Merry I think Christmas. he got caught off guard. Like he wasn't yeah. expecting that. Like you didn't screen this guy. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, so I, I honestly, there's a lot of stuff that Joe Biden has said in the last year that I was like, man, See, you know, this is the but, problem, too, though. If you if you look at Joe Biden's history, there's so much racism, there's segregation, there's sure. all, all these quotes, there's the crime bill. But then what do you do? Then you lean right. And then you, you have all these hate mongering, racist right wingers, too. It's like so what you know, like like the Democrat Party so corrupt and so much lies and so much fraud. But then how, where do you go? Wait, who do you go to? The right wing? These right wing maniacs? No. So it, it, you don't go to Biden. So what do you do? And then when you go, I don't, I won't go for either one of them. Then they, everybody hates you, and they call you. You know, look, look at how they treat Susan Sarandon. You know, Susan Sarandon, yeah. like the, the worst person ever lived to these people because because she she doesn't like Trump, she doesn't like Hillary, she doesn't like Biden, she doesn't she doesn't like any of them. But they don't talk about the good that somebody like Susan Sarandon has been doing for 30, 40 years in, her, in the community. Right. And they all love AOC. And who got AOC elected? Susan Sarandon. But they won't bring up that. They'll blame right. her for getting Trump elected. You know, <laughs> it's like. I mean, I, I think honestly, like, and, and I, I do think that there are some politicians, you know, progressive politicians who are still good. You know, we interviewed Ro Khanna. Um, there, there's a couple of others, you know, Mondaire Jones, um, uh, what's his name? You know, dang it. I'm forgetting his name. Corey Bush, all of those people. I, I think that there are still some politicians who have values, you know, you may not agree with the language that they use. I know people got really mad at Corey Bush for saying birthing people instead of mothers or whatever it is. But when you look at her principles, and the fact that she was, for example, a, a, a woman who was on food stamps and has been homeless and is a mother, you know what I mean, and brought herself out of that and is trying to help other people in those situations. I think there are still some politicians that that are OK. Largely, I agree with you. You know what I mean? And Biden, we can't what deny somebody out there in, in politics that wants to do good for people. I'm sure they're out there. I'm not educated on it enough to 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 know one at this point in my in my right. life. I, you know, I look around, I, I listen to some speeches here and there, I listen to the talk, I I look look at some tweets, and I'm like, yo, everybody's trash right now, everybody. <laughs> so so, and I'm sure that there's got to be a good person out there. But when there is a good person, how much power do they give that good person? They don't give them no power. You know, it's like, uh, and they get wrecked. They get put through the wood chipper. So I mean, yeah, like, if yeah. you're if you're a, if you're a if you're like a father who's trying to raise his family and you're like, I've got some I've got some ideas, 
for like, you know, how to help society. I'm looking around. This, this would help my family. This would help other families. A lot of those people are like, you know what? It's not worth it. I don't want to, I can't, I can't jump into this because it's going to wreck my life. It's going to wreck my kids' lives. And so I think, I think good people get scared off of it from, from, I think, a disgusting industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Susan Sarandon should run for office. I love her. I love Susan Sarandon. You know, I, I and yo, if she ran, that would be my politician right there. I vote vote Susan Sarandon. <laughs> I mean, the the other what, what was the I other woman who ran against Cuomo? Um, the redhead from uh, from uh, the Sex in the City. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm forgetting her name. But look in New York, even like like look when they had the new mayor. It's it's like uh, who did they get to? Who did the right get to run against them? The the guardian angel Curtis Sliwa. <laughs> Sliwa, yeah. And it's like, guys, we can't. And that now, so we have like an ex cop <laughs> that wants to bring back stop and frisk, and he's the Democrat. So where do we <laughs> run to? Where do we run to? You know what I mean? Kamala Harris. She, she, you know how many how many people has she got put in jail? And she's the Democrat. So you know. Right. Who do we go to? So what what would be your answer? Because I was actually reading an article about this earlier. I know you know you're from Long Island, but like uh I know you spent a lot of time in the city. Um, wait, wait, wait. You brought up Long Island real quick before we went on. Suffolk mm-hmm. County, bring them up again. Bring them up real quick. I know. Oh, I yeah, know. yeah. Oh, definitely, you know, Suffolk County. We gotta give a shout out to my man K Solo. You know, said, um, I said Suffolk County. He said the cops of Suffolk County. I'm known as, known a, as a fugitive. Solo is a dear friend and, and a great one of one, one of the uh, most slept on storytellers in hip hop. Right. I'm sorry for getting off topic, but I just want to throw a little case. No doubt. Shout out to the incredible Letterman, K Solo. You know, he got hands. Solo's a boss. Oh, for real? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep, yep, he got hands. Right. Yo, are, are him? So there was always, I know Hurricane G. And red man are related. Is K Solo related to them, or are they just like just light skin? <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know what? I know Red Man for for almost three decades. I know Eric since I'm a kid. I know Eric since I'm probably 14, 15. Uh, and he was he was he was already you know EPMD. He was like a superhero to me. Yeah. And I never heard that Red Man and Hurricane G were related. I never heard that. I heard a rumor that Eric had Hurricane G's baby or stuff like this. I, you know, I, I don't. I don't know the whole yeah. gossip stuff, you know? So, but Queso is definitely not uh, related to any of them, though. So. Oh, okay, word. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just say this. If you want to talk hip hop, one of the tests that I give you, whether I give you any credibility is, I like, how do you feel about EPMD? If you don't like EPMD, I don't even want to talk hip hop <laughs> with you. If you're not an EPMD fan, you know, obviously everybody likes Tribe Called Quest, you know, and stuff like that. If, I love if your knowledge but, starts with like outcast, then I'm, you know, I, I love five, but but EPMD greater than you know EPMD goes. Ooh, that's a oh, that's a tough one. You know, we have to talk about that I on another Q-tip podcast. My boy too, Q-Tip. I know Q-Tip since I'm 18. Like I love love Q-Tip, and and he made some of the greatest music ever, ever. But I'm, I'm a Suffolk County guy. EPMD when they exploded right. on the scene, it was like one of our high, like you know. It was yeah, not. Yeah, yo, yo, what's the uh? Tell me your names again, man. I'm sorry. Uh, Jason. No, no, I'm Vince. Yo, Vince. I'm sorry. When we start talking boxing and rap, you just 
like, <laughs> I like listening to it. I mean, I'm not, I, it reminds me of being like a kid sitting at the dinner table, listening to the adults speak. I was like, you know, I'll just listen. I'm fine. I'm going to soak. He's like, you can know? we just go back to how evil Kwanzaa is? <laughs> no, it's great. Actually, listening to this makes me want to check out like a lot of stuff that I've, I haven't been exposed to. So it's yeah. good. Where are you from, Vince? I'm from all over the place. I'm a, I'm a military brat. My dad a, was a lifelong Marine. He just got out a couple of years ago. He did 36 years in the Marine Corps. Wow. And my, I come from, yeah, I come from a military family, so... I've got tons of uncles who all, all served. I've got my brother served. My, you know, my dad was deployed a bunch of times to Iraq, Afghanistan. He was in the Gulf War. Um, and uh, my brother was deployed to Afghanistan. He blew up in Helmand province driving a, uh, a route clearance vehicle. He died? Uh, no, no, oh. he didn't die. He's, he's all right. No, he, he, he got a concussion. He got a traumatic brain injury from it. Um, brain, and it's still, you know, forever, right? Yeah, he gets a... He, that's what they say. He's got the effects of it, but he's, he's good. He's, he, he seems he's living a really healthy life. He's good. He's living outside Philly. Now he's got a, a bunch of kids. He's doing, he does HVAC work. Um, so the average person couldn't even tell though, right? He's, he's, he's no, good. no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good. No, that's the, yeah. Thank you for asking. No, he's, he's good. But the point is that's, that's, that was the life experience I came from. I, I uh, kind of grew up in military housing, living all over the country. Um, and uh and then ended up in DC as my dad kind of ended his career here. I, I started my career here and uh, I've been here ever since. Wow. DC. Do you ever go to uh, uh, what's the pizza place? Uh, the famous pizza place from pizza gate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Comet pizza. Comet pizza. You know, Comet I haven't actually pizza. been to Comet pizza. Have you been there, Jason? No, I've never been there. I've never it's been there. <laughs> I pass by it all the time. I just, I've never, I've never actually ate the pizza. Yeah, yeah. I passed by there. That's it. Yeah, nah, it's crazy. When I, when, when I did that Tim Pool thing, I, I thought it was because they flew me to DC. I thought it was at DC. So I was like, yeah, I should go check out Comet Pizza and see. <laughs> but, but I didn't realize that they drive you to Maryland and stuff. You know? Yeah, he, he lives out in like Frederick County, like, right? Like that. He's I'm like got a farm. It was kind of bugged out. They like drive you to the, like this, you know, get out of DC. They have a driver take you to this big fence, and then okay, okay, you know, and then <laughs> yeah. I mean, he makes millions. From what I hear, he makes millions and millions of dollars on that YouTube stuff. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we need you to find out his. Yeah, where's our action? <laughs> straight up. But people, that's that's the thing, though. That that Ra is saying is like, it's unfortunate, but people don't want to hear both sides of an issue you know what i'm saying like i think there's a lot of people in in, in the audience of the daily caller who are upset that i'm here you know what i mean like they don't like hearing and there's a lot of those you know crossover people who you know i think the internet skews a particular way and one of the things i will say you know i, I saw your interview already with um where you were on Young Turks recently. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I I go on your show. I go on the Turks. I go on Gutfeld. I go on Talib Kweli's podcast. Yeah. If you call me, I look you. Uh, okay, cool. Let, let's do it. I'm not afraid to get with you right. know. This is what we're here for. We, we look right. like what if somebody wants to hear your voice, put your voice out there. So I, I and, and it's the point I made on on the Young Turks. I said, um, if you look back at old Dick Cavett you know, yeah. on the Dick Cavett show. This was before my that. time, but they're all on YouTube. He had all these like different point of views from like segregationists to like pro-black Panther to like 
whoever, and they all sat in the same room and had conversations. And right. at this point, it's like, how dare you go on the Young Turks? How dare you go on this? Don't go on mm -hmm. it. No, no. If the outlet is open uh, uh, and is interested in my voice, I'm going on the outlet. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we, we try to do that here, but, I don't, you know, it's hard to find the audience for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, because I, everybody wants the, you know, they want, yeah. to be, they want to hear what they want to hear. They right. don't want to hear the conflicting side of what they want to hear, you know? So, yeah, people right. want comfort food. Yep, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and I personally, I like hearing all sides at once. You know what I mean? Not like an echo chamber. Like I, I can't lick, watch like, for example, like Candace Owens. You know what I mean? I can't just watch her, but I can watch her and Mark Lamont Hill have a conversation. Like I, I enjoy that. You know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah, I like Mark having both Lamont sides. Hill does, Mark Lamont Hill is one of the leaders in debating of of uh, critical race theory. Like right. you know, I don't agree with uh, with everything Mark Lamont Hill has to say either, but I agree with a lot of it. You know, yeah. and uh, the one thing I agree with him on is critical race theory. And if you debate him on critical race theory, he'll stomp you out. He that that's who he is. He he's got everything. You know. He's just super highly educated on critical race theory and, and he'll body you. And all the main anti-critical race theory guys, they go on his show and he bodies all of them. You can't yeah. you won't find one debate with Mark Lamont Hill debating critical race theory that he loses. He, he yeah. bodies all the leading, oh, it's the most evil thing of all time. He bodies every one and of he, them. And he never gets angry either. He's always polite. Yeah, yeah like I, I can't say the same, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. Mark is, is a cool who, uh, comp, you know, he, he's so, got his thing together. The thing Sometimes, that I liked in the interview with you and you and I always call him Jank, Jank, Chank, whatever. Jank, um, I think, right. They said I was saying his name wrong too. Yeah, I think it's, I, I don't know. But it, at any way, that guy, like one of the things that tripped me out was because I always, you know, I looked, I used to look at like all of that stuff on the internet. I would look at Turks. I would look at Jimmy Dore. Um, you know, Kyle Kalinske, all, all of those like kind of people that I thought were left wing on the, uh, you know, on the internet. And now they all got beef, right? So yeah, I tried to make peace. And, I, I remember, I, I saw that. And the one thing I, I, I got to say, and anybody who knows me knows that I'm all like about like peace and love and leading with empathy and trying to understand everybody. But I kind of liked when Jake was like, nah, Fuck peace. It ain't never gonna be peace. Like he sounded like a, a fat Turkish Tupac. He was like, it's on for life. Like he got hyped at the end. Yeah, I said, uh, I said uh, hey, I think uh, maybe let's all have peace. You and Jimmy Dore, crazy. It was Everyone, hilarious. Everywhere R.A. goes, he has to stir, stir up the pot, man. <laughs> By calling for peace. Yeah, yeah but uh, apparently they all did hurtful things to each other i don't know but but uh jimmy i met jimmy briefly at the young turks back when jill stein was running and uh i started looking at his videos ever since and i and i agree with a lot of stuff jimmy has to say on a lot of issues and then i i do understand uh where they're coming from on a couple of the points like they said you know he gets that whole kind of tim pool audience with the the pro uh kyle rittenhouse stuff and and but 
there's a lot of things that I do agree with him on. Like I do agree with the whole Russiagate thing that Aaron Matei and, and Jimmy Dore, I believe that Russiagate was a, a made up, uh, you know, uh, sensationalized piece of uh, propaganda, you know, and, yeah. uh, and I agree with him on that. And that, that's a right talk, right wing talking point that I agree with that Russiagate was, was an exaggerated four years of it telling us over and over, Russiagate, oh, the compromise, Russia, 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 fear mongering Russia, you know, the red scare all over again. And I agree with that 100%. And I think the Democrats were disgusting for that. And when I would say that I agreed with it, all all the other people would be like, oh, you support Trump. I hate Trump. I dislike Trump. I wish Trump never existed. But I'm going to be honest, as I believe Russiagate was some scam. You know, I think. I, you know, I'm with you. I, I, you know, as far as Russiagate, like, I understood initially the, the concern because of some of the things Trump said publicly. But I definitely think, I remember. It's fear mongering again. It's the same thing the right does. It's just fear, fear, yeah, fear. But, they started pumping it up, and Rachel Maddow did it every oh, night, and it was just like, all right, this is the worst one with it, though. She was the worst one with it. Like, yeah, it, it was. It was just like, yo, this is overboard. The and then, like the the part uh, that really got me is um, uh, not Ber not Bernstein Woodward, Bob Woodward, when he said, "Look, I looked at it; it's not there." <laughs> you know, he said that early on, mm -hmm. and I was like. Bob Woodward is about as good a journalist as you will find. If he couldn't find it, Rachel Maddow sitting behind her desk is not going to find it. You what know what I mean? Famous, like, what was the famous thing that Rachel said? Uh, she had one episode that they where she was like, and the Russians are going to turn the lights off in your house. It, it was like the most scary <laughs> ever. Like, you'll see the clip yeah. online. And, I was and, like, on, you know, but yeah. but that's the same audience. It, it's like right. that's what I'm saying on the Turks as well. It's like people who only want that lane will only listen to Maddow, you know, and people who want that Tucker will only listen to Tucker, and 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 so on and so on. So it's like, uh, and then they all think, oh, you live in a bubble. You listen to corporate media, and, and the same thing with the the YouTube uh, people, the the pool people. It's like the, they only listen to pool, and then they think. Oh, you live in a bubble if you don't believe what Poole says. It's like, no, you all are in a little bubble, you know, because you only listen to that one side. Listen to everybody. You know, the, the last thing they, they say, oh, Ari's in a bubble because I believe that, you know, uh, uh, Blacks aren't treated fairly in America. Um, so that they put me, oh, you're, you're in that bubble. And, and, and every comment is, you listen to CNN and, and, and MSNBC. <laughs> you're a puppet for CNN and MSNBC. <laughs> like, I don't even have cable in Germany with them channels. I don't watch that stuff. I don't look at that stuff. But I listen, I read, I, I, I have, you know, I spend time with all different sides of everybody. Like, th that's why you'll see me on every show and talk to everybody. I've dinner. If you come out to one of my dinners, I have people of all types, you know, from every political angle out mm -hmm. to dinner talking and we talk and we have conversations. So that's the opposite of a bubble, you know? Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I think we definitely have to think for ourselves. And, you know, obviously, you know, I don't, I don't like Trump at all. Um, and I think there are certain things that he's done that are atrocious. And I think, you know, the impeachment for January 6th, I think it was fair. Uh, but I think definitely there are also things that it was like overboard. And when you went overboard, I think it pushed people in the middle, you know, that maybe could be persuadable by the left. Like it pushed them into the right wing category. 
You know what I mean? So I, I you know, I, I definitely I think agree that. with you hundred percent because what happens is once you see them exaggerating and lying, right. then you start believing the other side. So meanwhile, if Trump was exaggerating and lying about everything and it was about ego, but they see like, wow, this is supposed to be my source of media telling the truth. And they're lying about certain things and exaggerating certain things about Trump. So then they go, Trump must be the truth teller. It's like, no, they're, they're all liars, you know, yeah. but it feeds the fire and it gives people an excuse to yeah. go run to and, Trump. You know? And I'm going to tell this- you right now, yo, son, I'm guilty of, you know, from like in, in a way talking so much about Trump yeah, that, too. you know, I, we we could have been talking about those missing black kids, but instead we spent so much time on Trump. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, be, and CNN still spending time on Trump. It's like it, it, let yeah. let the committee do what they do. Let let January sixth committee do what they do. Keep us somewhat informed, but move on. Talk about some other but things that are going on in our society. That's how he got elected, right? Because, and I'm guilty. He got elected probably because of how much the left talked about him right <laughs> you know it For was sure. like free publicity free publicity every tweet it's trump 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 like it's the same thing with music it doesn't matter how terrible a song is if yeah. every single person on the planet is talking about that song the song's going to have fans yeah and the more you talk about the song even if it's terrible it's going to grow a fan base that's anything from music to politics. So if the whole entire planet is talking about this one man over right. and over, yeah. over all day, I, and it's all that people are gonna go, well, I don't like her, so I must like him. I must like, you know, you're, you're growing that fan base. Like, uh, you, you yo, take, to, to relate oh, it real what? quick. Oh, let, let me just say this real quick to go relate ahead. it to hip hop. I'll tell you, like, so I'm I'm originally from Harlem, you know, from East Harlem. What? And what's that? What part? 101st between Lexington and Park. Well, I, I lived on 145th and Lenox for about 12 years. Yeah. Oh, word. Okay. I, I literally just moved 2016 when my daughter was born, but I was in Harlem for 12 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm from Spanish Harlem. Um, yeah. So all my family, cousins, and everything, when the whole Tupac Biggie thing was going on, you know, everybody was Biggie, Biggie, Biggie. What did that make me? I was like, Tupac. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, I just, you know, just as a reaction, because, and then I started listening to Tupac. I started listening to more of his interviews. I started, you know, because I think it just initially just pushes you when yeah. people are, are trying to batter you with one side at a certain point, you, you get, you know, kind of contrarian at a certain point, like, yo, let's consider this other side. Mm-hmm. And then it'll push you further and further and further, you know, to the point where I was almost talking about West Side and I never even been to the West Coast. <laughs> I've, I have been there. I've been to California like twice in my entire life. But yeah, contrarianism is, is a strange thing because, because sometimes it's warranted. But what it is, is we want to so hard not be the follower, not be the puppet, right. not be part of this. Uh, you know, machine that's being told, telling you what to believe, what to watch, what to think, who to vote for. You want to be, you don't want to be part of that, you know. Uh, uh, so you start pulling away and going, oh, well, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. You know, I've had some uh, political point of views where like, I've heard the one side so much where you start saying a stupid side just to get the F away from that side of it, you know. And, and uh, so I understand what you're talking about with that. And then, and then 
you back up a little bit and you look at it with with a with a clear mind and you go no now you can see clearly boom 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 same right. thing like like a, a a hot new album comes out and everybody's talking oh the greatest album of all time the greatest album of all time and a lot of people are going along with that greatest album of all time and then you, you're like it's not that great i listen to it yeah <laughs> you know and, and but become five years later you could put that same at the hype is gone you put the same album on and the same people, oh, the greatest album of all time. They might go, you know what? I, it wasn't what I thought it was. And, and the person who didn't love it, that was going contrary to what people believe, might go, nah, I hear some things in that thing. I understand why people thought it was great. You know, distance yourself from the, yeah. the hype, the buzz, yeah. and, and all of the insanity. And you can see things clearly, you know, and you can see for yourself more, you know? Yeah, no, that I mean, in politics, you see like a lot of like people just follow the crowd a lot politically on what their party's saying, and they don't actually take any time to take an inventory of all that. Like the right is famous in terms for that, for screwing that up when it comes to the Iraq war. I mean, like, just like look at the way that sentiment has changed on the Iraq war over the last two decades. And for now sure. everyone, everyone's sort of against it now, but like, you know, I was, I was a kid in college and I thought it seemed totally justified to me at the time. And I was willing to forgive any sort of uh, countervailing evidence, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and your opinion changes on all that. I, I do think that, but even what the that, oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. You want to make a point about that? What I was going to say, I even remember, though, after 9-11, you know, uh, America was so hurt that uh, I even remember Lefty, you know, they hated Bush. But when he made this speech, smoke them out of the holes or what, what was the famous mm -hmm. thing they said about <laughs> smoking them out of the holes? I even remember the left was like, yeah, Bush, he said something, smoke them out. Get, you know, everybody wanted revenge for this action. Yeah. You know, it, it, he went to the wrong place for revenge, but <laughs> you know, the, out of the war somewhere. But 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 you know, so I remember, you know, a lot of people was on side. Yeah, blow something up, kill right. somebody. Make, right. We need revenge. We need vengeance. They they came on. You know, they killed our people. Kill somebody. Kill somebody. I remember that, and and it wasn't just from the right at that time. It was it was not not everybody. Kind of goes back to how we started. It's like, you know, like you don't want to fight with anger when you're boxing. You got to think clearly. And yeah. so like you're being led by emotion, you make bad decisions. And also it lets your leaders make bad decisions on your behalf. So the other part is. Yeah. And that like, was what Barbara Lee said, too. That was her whole yeah, thing. Yeah, Barbara Lee was the only one who voted against the. Yeah, the she was like, I'm not the, saying don't do it. Let's just take a second. <laughs> you know yeah, take I mean? a breath. I remember yeah. I went back. I watched that speech. She, she was right about that, that, that sentiment. Yeah. So then there's. Um, what we were talking about a moment ago, just like the reason people buy into stuff. Like it's one thing for like you or I, I mean, obviously we're in our position in the media, we have some responsibility to like, you know, think through and, and know the facts and share it when we share them. But if you're just a guy who's like consuming the news and you're being misled by it or whatever, or you see your friends all buy into this album and you're like, oh, I guess I should like it too since everybody else is liking it. Um, there's That's going on. But the problem I have is that these newsrooms, as we've talked about throughout this conversation, are being grossly irresponsible with the facts on, on so many stories, you know, a lot has been said about like, Oh, people on Facebook are sharing misinformation. That's not the, that that's not the most damaging stuff. The most damaging stuff is the misinformation that we get from our own media. And that's, and it's all over the place. So let me, I'll just pick one example because Trump became the filter through which the media made all of his decisions. As you mentioned, it's like, okay, if like, we're going to talk about Trump all the time. That's where we get the ratings from. Also, if Trump does something, we're going to take, an, take a position against it, no matter what it is. So, like, Trump says, you know, there's a, chance, there's a chance this thing came from a lab, meaning COVID, in China. The media immediately sided against him. That's a racist conspiracy theory. You know, you're not allowed to say that, blah, blah, blah. 
and it, it, it neutered a very real and consequential debate because the press, instead of doing it due diligence, decided it would take a partisan side and went to hyperbole immediately. Yeah, but we'll never know the answer to that. With the vax, though, where, uh, you know, when he said, oh, rush these vaxes out, you know, and, and all of them, all of the left was, oh, I would never take that vax. Uh, Trump, Trump, uh, you know, <laughs> and then as soon as he's gone, they're like, get vax, get vax. So which one is it? You know, it's the same exact vax. It's the same exact one. But so, so yeah, they're blinded by, uh, uh, you know, uh, partisan, you know, politics. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this about the vax thing. Like, you know, after like Trump didn't help his credibility on on COVID with some of the things he said early on. So I was skeptical about anything Trump said. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, now, yeah. and we started getting more information on the vaccine. And it wasn't honestly, I wasn't going to get it until like some medical professionals that I personally knew were like, yo, who? you need to get the vax. Like who? You know, I mean, my wife is a nurse, uh, a couple other okay. people I know are doctors. I got a friend who's a doctor at the VA. They were oh. like, yo, it's good. You need to get it. I'm getting it. Once I found they were getting it. And then I found out, you know, because there was all this stuff about us trying to kill black people. And then like, you know, I found out that the woman who developed the vaccines was is a black woman. You know, I was like, all right, <clears throat> all right I'm going to get it. But this goes, what you're saying, Jason, though, is the fundamental issue in American politics, which is we distrust our institutions so much that we turn to radical positions or uh, we or we like, you know, or just like we'll take up crazy ideas because the ones that they're giving us, we're so used to them lying to us. Right. I mean, where do you think Trump comes from? Trump, right. Trump is an expression of anger at the establishment, right? He gets elected like no, a healthy country doesn't elect Donald Trump. An unhealthy one that distrusts his institution says, Screw you. I'm sending in the undertaker. I'm sending in this guy to yep. smack you around. Yep. And the thing that I hate now, too, is uh, the, the hatred and wishing death on people who are unvaccinated is this one of the most sickening things I've seen, you know, because, I, you know, you're allowed to have your own position. But, you know, I, I have a family member who doesn't want to get the vax. They believe that it's, you know, they, you know, whatever, but, uh, and it's a good human being. It's a great human being. And uh, you look at my family history and what the government did to them and poisoned, you know, their children and this and that. And so they, uh, they're not trying to do it. And she's, uh, you know, she's not invited to a Christmas party with, with her side of the, like, it's crazy stuff going on. And, and then like, when I go on Twitter, it's like, oh, when somebody dies unvaxxed they're like good they deserve it they should die you know don't let them in the hospital they should die they should die and it's like yo you people are sick like like say even somebody say somebody's ignorant and wrong so should they die because they're ignorant and wrong they should they deserve to die because they were mis misled into believing that the vax isn't good if, if, if you know like whether it's good or bad i'm just saying say it is good and they should have took it if they're wrong and ignorant, they should die because of that. It's just right. so disgusting yeah. right now. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, mm -hmm. I remember so recently there was this dude. Um, it was a, a a guy, I think he's like, he was like a state senator in, in Washington State or Oregon or something like that. And he was against the vax. And then he went to El Salvador for some reason, for some trip, came back and, and got COVID. 
and he was looking for monoclonal antibodies or whatever. I think it was too late at that point, and then he died. And there were a bunch of people who celebrated. What's that? They celebrated, I bet you, right? Yeah, no. So I posted it on Twitter, and I was like, "Look, you know, um, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something like I said. I always try to be Mr. Love, empathy, and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I was like." you know, please consider getting the vaccine. Like, don't, don't wait until your family gets affected like his. And there were some comments like, yo, screw him. <laughs> you know, he got what he deserved. And I'm like, yo, this guy had two kids. You know what I mean? Little kids, two little daughters, oh. you know, had a wife. I'm like, yo, like, Government. all right, he made a bad decision. That doesn't mean, you know, that he deserved to be in, in that position. And certainly doesn't mean that his daughters deserve to grow up without a father. You know yes. what I mean? The government has lied to us about what's, you know, about, you can't say everything, but I mean, they lie to us constantly, nonstop since its existence. And the pharmaceutical industry has been, you know, poisoning us, killing us, making money off of us since their existence. With so, the government, with the government helping them do it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. The, the whole, so the whole, the whole oxycontin thing, and is like yeah, exactly. literally, like you've got like corrupt people at the FDA signing off on the opioid crisis, and like the, exactly. they're all in on the deal. Exactly. And then Rudy, and then Rudy Giuliani, who you've rapped about, <laughs> Rudy Giuliani being the big defender of oxycontin, he was he was I the one. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah, no, nah, man, he he was the one that they sent out to kind of smooth things over this is back when he was america's mayor and they yeah. started getting a little bit of attention from you know i don't know if it was the dea or whoever it was was like yo this is kind of this is shady yeah does anybody have the numbers on that how many dead per year because usually usually the the oh, drug overdoses kill about seventy thousand a year which is more than died in the whole vietnam oh. war actually and and in the United States this year, it's now over 100,000 who died of the opioid crisis. Yep. Yeah, I, listen, I've had, and like I said, I'm, I'm not the kid from the ghetto. I'm, I'm as middle class as middle class gets, you know, particularly for a black family. I'm as middle class as it gets. He's underselling himself. He's a pretty high class dude, actually. Yeah, I, yeah I'm classy. <laughs> um, you know. And now I grew up very middle class, but either way, in a middle class suburb, in a middle class house. Um, and I'll say this, like I've lost four friends to, to usually to heroin, but heroin or, or opioids. Yep. A lot of them were, you know, majority of them were white too. They weren't even black dudes, it's white kids. And one of them was wealthy not poor, not middle-class, wealthy. We used to go over his house because he had a swimming pool. They you were probably, which, you know. probably getting him drugs from the doctor. And then when that dried up, they went, you know, to the, to the next, you know. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think he had a gallbladder surgery or something like that. Long Island, uh, uh, the opiate crisis and the heroin, you know, hit Long Island crazy. Everybody's dying off of it. Everybody, it's crazy. It's like right. so oh. So much death out there. But but again, I, I also hear the side because look, I've been in a hospital in Baltimore. You want to talk about the, the race element here. I've been in a hospital in Baltimore with my cousin who was going through a heroin overdose. Mm -hmm. 
right? And the way we got treated, you know, again, I was young, you know, had the long braids, you know, the long cornrows and baggy clothes, you know, it was, you know, that era. And the way we were getting talked to by the nurses and treated, you know, like straight garbage. And I look at that, there was no empathy for kids, for people who got heroin. Nah, nah. Particularly for black people in Baltimore. Baltimore was never, you know, we had our crack cocaine moment, but Baltimore has always been a heroin city. Like yeah. and heroin so has always been big in Baltimore. Help. It's so hard to get help. You want to get a clinic, you want to get that. I mean, it's so hard. You, you get a heroin addict or, or a drug addict, and uh, especially in uh, certain places, it's yeah. like uh, family members sitting there, you know, half dead looking like zombies, and, and you want right. to get want to save them you want oh come come you know and, and it's like oh this is a waiting list for this this doesn't exist you know boom 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 you got to say oh maybe you got to move out of state to an unpopular area to, to try to get help somewhere else it's like uh yeah they don't address it at all either yeah. you talk about every all the other tragedies in the world and you're saying we lose a hundred thousand people a year like why isn't that you know, news, you know, every night, why aren't we talking about a hundred thousand people dying a year from something and, and ways to get help and, and how to fix it? Like, we don't talk about that either, you know? But, but see, here's the thing is like, it feels a lot for someone like me who, who has seen that and seen how, how it went down. Uh, seeing how that went down in that, in that time period, like, it seems like there's so much empathy now for, for drug addiction, particularly from the prescription drugs. And it wasn't there. It hasn't been there. It wasn't there with crack. It wasn't there with heroin, with, with Black folks. As a matter of fact, it led to more demonization, more, you know, to tougher laws and all of that. So for a lot of us, it's kind of cynical when the right wing is like, oh, opioids. When, when it wasn't there for my cousin, they were putting him in jail. You know what I mean? And he was never a drug dealer, at least not a big had, one. Chappelle had a good skit on that, a, a good uh, stand-up about that. He was uh, he was making fun of the white boys on meth compared, because, hey, when crack, yo, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he, right. he had a good, uh, you look it up, I'm, I'm misquoting it, but he had a funny, uh, he had a funny thing about yeah, it. Yeah, because he lives out there in what, Ohio, I think. Yeah, um, he's like, well, you didn't care about us in the 80s. Now <laughs> he said something yeah. Yeah, it yeah. Although, in fairness to your point before, all right, it's like, like, yeah, we're talking about it. Occasionally, gets a little bit of attention. Washington's not talking about it. Like, the major news outlets aren't talking about it. It's like it's actually like a sleeper story. A hundred thousand dead is a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I, I think the number, but, but, but I think it's the pharmaceutical industry's fault, and you know they're all in bed with the pharmaceutical industry. So uh, you know, why villainize their, you know people who they're supposed to champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, yeah. I think we've used a lot of your time today, R.A. I, I, I'm very appreciative of you spending some time with us. Kind of cool to get a chance to talk to you and meet you. I appreciate that. Oh, th hey, thank you for having me. Like I said, um, I, I, the, what's the producer's name that, that contacted me to be on this? Richie. Yeah, Richie hit me up. I took a screenshot. I sent it to my boy. I said, is this a hit piece? Is this going to be some smear me, you know, you know, because... Uh, after the I did that right wing uh, YouTube show, uh, you know, people, all these crazy racist people came at me going crazy. So uh, I sent it to my boy. He's like, yo, that 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 
network, they might try to do a hit piece. But I was like, hey, what are you gonna do? Try to hit me, you know? <laughs> you guys, you guys were a pleasure. I had a great time, great conversation. This, this is the way it should be, you know. So no doubt. Yo, RA, definitely I want to get back together with you and, and talk uh hip hop and boxing and all of that. We need to do a hip hop and boxing podcast. You know what I'm saying? We could pitch it to the Daily Caller. I I seriously think, you know, I would love to do that. So, you know, I'll get your contact. Thank you for coming on. What is the Daily Caller actually? Uh, You know, uh, excuse my ignorance. So uh, it is a, a website um usually leans with with right-wing material but um it's a news website um and you know we're trying to to have a little bit of balance and and bring in um a larger audience and so that's one of the reasons that vince and i decided to do this this podcast but you can go of course go to the dailycaller.com and get your daily news just like if we're going to do a boxing to... and rap show and, and, and least watched show in the history of the website. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're, we're building some things. I'm going to holler at you for real. I'm going to holler at you and we'll, you know, then we're building some, some different things, some different outlets that I think we'll get a different audience. So we'll, we'll talk about that. I definitely want to holler at you off air, but thank you. Thank you to the legendary loser, my man, R.A. the Rugged Man who has uh, been very gracious with his time. You can find him on Twitter. Send him all the love that he deserves as an artist for who's been in the game for three decades, dropping bombs. Definitely thank you, Vince Colonnais. Uh, and thank all of you who watch. You can watch us on YouTube, Facebook Watch, and certainly find us uh, uh, on the audio podcast anywhere that podcasts are platformed. Um, we really appreciate all of your support. Keep supporting us, all 12 of you. We love you. All right, (laughs) peace.